Greetings, fellow planeswalkers. I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you're listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. This week on the podcast, we're going to take you through our deck building process from theory crafting all the way to playtesting. So this episode was inspired by a recent video from the Command Zone, uh, and we thought it would be an interesting piece to discourse on and engage on and really just break down the way that we build our decks here on the podcast. But right. before and that... The most interesting part about that, sorry, I mean to interrupt you, is that you know everybody has their own uh, unique ways of deck building, uh, despite how similar they may be, may be. Everybody has their unique twists. And we just thought that we would throw our two cents in, and hopefully we see a bunch of different content creators doing the same thing to kind of give newer players, I don't know, some kind of base from which to build their own process. Because I know when I came into playing Commander, I had no idea what I was doing. And... Um, you know, the Command Zone podcast, they really helped me in the ways of uh, knowledge, information, and the way to create a new deck. And I was always theory crafting on my own deck at the time and everything. But now I have this outlet. I thought I would give my own two cents and kind of throw my hat in the ring and be like, this is now how I build my decks. So before we get into the main topic of this episode, we have an upkeep trigger to do, and that is our plays of the week. I know it's coming. Go ahead. Paul. <laughs> do you have a play of the week now i can say you know the answer to this question i think i do lay it on him james wait what the was your play yes. oh yeah no no, no. I, I, I knew the answer was yes but i'm like do i know the play i know we've been playing a magic together a lot um this last week or so i just i'm like do i know the play i don't know if i know the play what was your play i don't remember but oh I know you said that this was going to come up on the podcast when it happened. Yes, I did. And even I've forgotten the play. Oh, I'm so bad. at. This is why we should both have a notebook next to us. And whenever we make amazing plays, we just we write it down. Oh, I think it was when I was playing Druids. I want to say it was Druids as well, because you came out and just was like, what was it, turn three or something with like 18 mana available to you? And I went, yeah, you're good. Sounds good, yeah. bro. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So Setting uh, Croson Protector, I think his name is. Yes, that is that be the name, and um, I'll actually be talking about this deck a little later uh, in a little more detail. But uh, druids, which I'm not sure how much I've mentioned that on the show or not, um, but druids is one of my higher power decks. Didn't think it was, but after a game I played over the weekend, I've come to learn that it is pretty good. Um, I went mana dork into mana dork into mana dork into commander and. What is the name of that enchantment from Ixalan? The Gaia's the one, Cradle one? Yeah, the one that transforms into Gaia's uh, Growing Rites of Itlamok into... There you go. That's uh, the what one. is it? The Cradle Son of Itlamok, I think it's called? Yeah, something like that. But uh, maybe Itlamok Cradle of the Sun. Yeah, but, uh, that, sounds, that sounds legit. Yeah, so I went turn one, turn two, turn three Mana Dork into my commander into Growing Rites of Itlamok, and I had a Gaia's Cradle on turn three with four creatures on board. Oh my god. <clears throat> It was it was a game. I can't remember what I was playing. I think I was playing uh, my newly built Raynar, the Ever Watchful Spirits Flicker deck. Yes, I believe that is correct. And I couldn't keep up. I was like, yeah, you're good. 18 mana on turn three sounds amazing, <laughs> Paul. Uh, and then I had, what did I play? It was, I played a Green Sun Zenith for five. And I got a Seedborn Muse. Yes. And I had uh uh What's what's the name of that card? Why am I forgetting? The one that gives your green creatures flash. Yeva. Yeva. I had that in my <laughs> hand. So I, ha I had uh, Prophet of Crufix the hard way. And it was, uh, I mean, for everything you were doing, and I didn't really have answers for, um, it was still really fun to play with and still really fun to see druids go off for another time. Uh, I mean, I've seen it go off before, but that's actually a key part of this conversation that we're having now is I had no interaction for what Paul was playing, right? So it's going to come up again in, in the way that we talk about our deck building process and the way that we kind of, we look at interaction with our opponents in our own decks and not just making, and make sure we're not, you know, we have a healthy way of like, you know, doing everything we want to do in the deck. Um, and I think that is a fantastic segue to our main topic here, Paul. Let's go. So, main phase one, we're going to start laying some spells down. So, we, I have five examples of decks that I've built over the past year since being in, you know, this pandemic lockdown um, that I have ranged through the power levels because I see that now playing online 
uh, through Discord and Play EDH server and my own public server that I play on. Um, not even mine. It's ours, Paul. Like it's 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 our public server. It's the world's public That's server. Yours. I mean, I created it, but I I give it to everybody. Um, was very much it pushed me into playing not higher powered magic, but more focused and uh dedicated magic. If that's if you kind of follow my my gist there. Um, so I went through and I kind of broke down my decks through power levels, and we do play anywhere between mid, and now we're starting to push into a little bit of high power because. We're wanting to play those, you know, fancy commanders. And I know Paul has been wanting to play his Marisol deck, so I wanted to give him an outlet to play his Marisol deck. And I love versing that Marisol list. I think it's a lot of fun. It doesn't really... It, it dodles a little bit. It kind of does some stuff you want it to do, and then it just goes off. And it's a lot of fun to play against. So I had to make sure that I had a deck that could kind of um, adapt that play style and make sure that I had a high-powered deck. So... I'm going to start off with my lower power deck, and I think Paul's got a couple of examples as well of this. Um, and I broke them all down into ramp, card draw, interaction, lands, and then the main strat of the deck. So I'm going to start off by talking about the, what was it, Golos, the Tireless Pilgrim deck that we built here on the podcast, but it was the mill deck. So I think we called it Golos the Milgram, the Golos Tireless, Tireless Milgram. Milgram. Mm-hmm. That's it, the That's Tireless it. Milgram. Um, so that was an episode that we did, did here on the Commander Arms podcast. You can go back and listen to that episode if you want to and kind of find out what exactly what cards we play in that deck. But I broke it down to having six ramp cards, zero card draw, which is kind of interesting for a, a Commander deck, uh, nine interaction spells, 36 lands, and 48 main strat cards. So the main um, strat of that deck being milling my opponents, assembling some sort of uh, infinite mill combo and planeswalkers. And I just wanted to explain why I have zero card draw in that deck is because the way that the deck wants to work is it wants to cast the spells from the top of the library with Golos's ability. Um, so it wants to, you know, get out that, I think it's two colorless and Wooberg to exile the top three cards and play those spells without, ca- without casting their, without, paying their 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 mana cost yeah and i was actually this is a good uh point to remark that while we do work on like averages of things to play like oh you should play seven ram spells eight ram spells whatever the case may be there are certain commanders or certain decks that just don't need to capitalize on things as much so like golos like james said card draw less important because golos is kind of like a seven mana draw three and play them for free which is you know pretty good in some people's books especially mine yeah and it also has an alternate win con which we talked about which was um was it maze's end is the win con so there is a bit of a janky theme to that deck which is why it's on my power scale level of being about a four to five power um and it's average cmc so the average spells in the whole deck is about a 3.78 this is pretty much where i want this deck to be this is my lowest amount of pretty much everything in the board uh, it's actually my highest amount of land counts in a deck because I had to have all of the gates to accommodate the alternate win con in the deck. Um, but yeah, having no card draw kind of makes it a little a little bit clunky to play. Um, if I really wanted to up the power level of the deck or whatever, I could have easily just added top deck manipulation to it in the ways of like scroll rack or Sensei's Divining Top. But that's not what I'm here for with that deck. That deck, like I said, just wants to mill your opponents out through really big, flashy Golos activations. Right, and it's pretty hard to not get a flashy Golos activation. Like even if you just hit one spell, like I, I would, I, I would pay, I would probably pay seven mana to cast the top card in my deck for free. Oh yeah, I mean most people do, and I have very much also paid seven mana to draw three lands and play one of them. So I mean sometimes it's whiff. Sometimes he uh, he gives you the absolute value, which is why the numbers of that deck is kind of where it's at. I would like to see maybe the ramp come up a little bit, but that's the average of of that deck. Um, Paul, did you have a deck you wanted to talk about? I actually have a couple of low decks uh, yeah. after I did some thinking about it. My lowest one possible, in my opinion, is probably my Zara deck, Zara's House of Bounce, which I purposely made because I wanted it to just be this fun uh, little, you know, pile of cards that I can play if anybody at the table is, you know, not into like super high power, 
uh, or if their collection is, you know, not as robust as mine, this is a deck that I can play without pub stomping, without feeling guilty or anything, because literally all it does, as the name implies, is bounce things and steal them from people's hands, which means that my deck is basically only as good as everybody else's deck, with a couple of nuances to it. So Zara, I didn't break down mine quite the same way that James did. I didn't, like, pull out the card draw or the ramp or anything, unless it was already done, which for this one apparently I did. Uh, I've got seven pieces of card draw and four pieces of ramp. Ramp is a little on the low side. Uh, the card draw is a little on the a little below average as well. Um... As far as interaction goes, I only have a couple of counter spells in here, and that just about covers all of that. And again, these these are all on the lower side of things because this is meant to be a lower powered deck. And so instead of focusing on what other people are doing, it's more about you know just doing my thing and letting the table kind of figure out what they want to do. Uh, the CMC for Zara is actually on the low side for a low power deck at two point five nine. I don't really play a lot of big flashy stuff in here. Uh, mainly just things that say return target creature, blah, 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 blah. Insert other text here. And I actually have a second low-powered deck. Uh, it is my Golos Enchantress deck, which I always kind of place it in the mid-scale, but after looking at the deck list and realizing that it has the same uh, alternate win con as yours, I place it more in the low tier because it is pretty slow. Uh, it basically just depends on having Golos and having him play a bunch of enchantments, and if not, just, you know, luck of the draw. Uh, because a lot of the card draw is based on permanents, which are recursive value in and of themselves, it plays a little bit on the lower side of all the numbers I just mentioned, so interaction is basically zero. Uh, unless, you know, there's like an Oblivion Ring or a Banishing Light, something like that. But it is very, very low, only a few pieces of that. Uh, card draw, there is more of that, but it's attached to, like, creatures and enchantments. Uh, so you have to have them stick around in order for them to do anything on like instant value card draw. Uh, but the average CMC of that deck is sitting at about 3.5. So that is mainly because a lot of the fun enchantments are very expensive. Things like Possibility Storm sitting at 5 mana. Um, Possibility Storm, man. <laughs> what an absolute... That is my card. favorite card to cast in that whole deck. Uh, other than the shrines, the shrines are also very fun, which in case anybody's wondering, I have not updated it with the uh, the new shrines, the ones from M, what is it, Corset 20? At Corset 21. M21, yeah. Uh, Sanctum of All, I think, is the uh, the five-colored legendary yeah, I should uh, really, enchantment shrine. I should probably finally pick those up. Basically, my inspiration for this deck, my inspiration for this deck I mean, was because you, I, uh, I, mean, I wanted to do play you, do you need a place? Romanticore, because I've always loved do that card. And um, the shrines. And now that there's more shrines, I'm kind of failing in my primary objective here. Do you need the shrines? Because I opened so much M21 that I probably have a full copy of um, all of the shrines. I might M21. have. I opened six pre release kits for M21. So I might have the uncommon ones. I'll have to check. But I, might, I definitely need the five card one. I didn't pull a single one of those. I pulled like 10 of those. I have them ranging between foil, uh, alternate art, extended art, and regular. Ca so, I mean, casually pick, setting bro. up it's, trades it's on the podcast? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? I like to, I mean, you need the card. I don't need the card. It's literally sitting in a stack of cards. It's on my desk. You know, I need to get rid of it. You can um, take it. It's fine. Friends favors, mates rights. You got. Funnily it's, enough, it's this yours. is actually a deck that I've been I've been considering changing the mana base, getting rid of the mazes and stuff, and just you know making a decent mana base because I think it would actually perform pretty well with a uh, faster mana base. But I kind of like having this where it is for obvious reasons, just because you know a lot of the people that I do play with they don't yeah. play in like the high or the high mid when we're playing in person I should say yeah we like to keep it kind of casual especially in person you know the the like my golos deck and I believe your golos deck and and our lower powered decks they want to be those hang around for 2 3 hours and play one game of magic you know you pretty much want to play a board game at that point where you set up the board you take out the uh you take out the little pieces, you know, the, the spot removal, take out the pieces that are going to, like, you know, do things, yada, 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 and you really just want to, like, you want to get into the puzzle of things. Like, this is where these decks want to be, is you're not 
comboing off on turn six or turn five or even turn four where the you go up on the power scale that's where you want to kind of be with those decks but this is very much i want to play the puzzle that is for uh multiplayer commander games you know i want to make sure everyone's doing their powerful things but then taking and removing key pieces to kind of keep them behind while trying to find your key pieces you know what's funny is that between you me and Um, our other friend who also has a goalless goalless deck uh, it's a Golos Eldrazi. Because um, I have yeah. two Golos decks. Uh, we could actually just give my extra one to his girlfriend, and we could have a full pot of Golos, all doing different things. All doing different strategies. We <laughs> definitely could. That's actually something that... I mean, yeah, that, let's do it, man. Like, we could easily organize that. I mean, socially distanced and, and, and everything else, obviously, uh, you know, abide by definitely regulations, make but we could definitely play a video. A full, you know... Golos five Golos color artifacts point. versus Golos mill versus Golos yeah. enchantments versus Golos Eldrazi. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the Eldrazi well, one might just tell you be slightly ahead sure. of everyone else. I've seen that deck do some. Oh, thanks, well, Eldrazi. Paul. Haven't even started playing, and I'm already uh, already counted out of not winning. Eldrazi. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. It has no other win con besides the alternate win con, so I'd have to go for an <laughs> alt win con to win. <laughs> And that's fine. Like that's that's literally like that's literally where these decks want to be. That is the low power. That's the four to fives. And I say four to five because um, we kind of put an average at where precons used to be. So the precons used to be at around a five. I want to say that they've. I I have a feeling that with the new precons, like the non, um, the what are we calling them now? They're the the planeswalker set replacement precons. The ones that like came out like the Oban um the aec deck uh the the wyleth deck all those ones they came super laser focused and they have pretty much where you want a deck to be at for you know a precon and i think they're maybe even pushing a six in the power level at the moment where they currently are being printed um but our old basis of where precons used to be was about a five because they were your main strat and then two off strats so that's talking like your 2018 2019 commander decks so gear red for an example uh cadena there was the gavi decks so those kinds of decks where they have you know three strats that they want to do their main strat and then two random other strats and to make them powerful you take the other two strats out and just kind of push into like the main strat um whereas these newer commander decks that are being printed for all the sets now going back from you know Kaldime, commander legends um zendikar rising they're all just super laser focused on the one strat so our golos decks are kind of where the old precons used to be and that's where i kind of put them as well they're on that four to five kind of range because you know they have decent amount of interaction they do what they want to do they have a lot of main strat cards and everything um i just wanted to break down interaction a little bit before we go ahead because the numbers are going to change a little bit as we kind of kind of go forward but i wanted to talk about what kind of interaction that we play. Now, my Golos mill deck plays a lot of board wipes, and I counted that as interaction because it affects the board. And I was like, well, if I don't count the board wipes as interaction, then I'm really only running two spot removal cards. Um, and like, I think a counter spell, but anything that kind of interacts with the board or affects the board states, I would count as an interaction card. Because if you can wipe somebody's board and they have nothing and they have to move forward from that with you know, rebuilding and everything, you've basically slowed the you've slowed the game down and you've interacted with it and you're not just sitting there by yourself going, well, I play a land and pass turn and I don't have anything else to do for the rest of the game. You know, like the rest of the turn, sorry. And then my next turn comes around and I do something on my turn and then that's it. So as you kind of like, you start off at like a power level with the counter spells. So let's just let's just let's say counter spells in, in in for general here. So you have you know the OG daddy. You've got counter spell. You know two blue counter target spell. Then you've got everything else that moves up from there, where you start getting to your free counter spells. So as you kind of go up the tier list and the power the power level list, your CMC and your effectiveness of your cards come down. So you start moving into more free interaction free counter spells, um, alternate casting cost on cards as well, and really just cheating out mana costs. Um, I don't 
really have anything else to add to that, to be honest. I was trying to come up with something, but I guess that really just about covers it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to talk about interaction a little bit because, like, this one runs nine interaction, but then my next deck, which is um, my next... It's about a six to seven I put these at. Um, they're running actually less interaction, but because of the kind of interaction, it's a little different. Um, the interaction in Golos is more sorcery speed, wiping the board and controlling it that way. So it's not saying like you can't play your spells. It's just saying when you, when you commit to the board, I'm going to blow it up because why not? I don't, I don't really care if I have creatures on the board or not, because I literally just want to sit there and all my cards is just milling essentially. So that's kind of where that is. And then, uh, moving on from the four to five power range levels, we have my six to seven level decks, which are two decks that we've talked about on the podcast many, many times, but we kind of went through them in a way and we didn't really get to break them down per se the way that we have the rest of them. So I've got Taking Calamax to the Max, which is again, another episode on this podcast. And I have Glory and Life and Death, which is Taysa uh, Karlov, which I've talked about to death on this podcast. And that is another episode that you can go back and listen to if you wanted to have an actual breakdown of what the cards are in the deck. Um, I have Calamax, which is currently sitting at a 3.28 converted mana cost average CMC. Uh, he has 8 ramp, 11 card draw, 8 interaction, 36 lands, and 36 main strike cards, which is including in his tappers and untappers, his copy spells, his recursion spells, and the token makers. Now, when you say main strat, I just want to clarify, because I don't think we have yet, that main strat means that uh, it's the main goal of the deck, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's... This deck wants to do this, and these are the cards okay. that facilitate. I just wanted to clarify. I, w- I wasn't sure, so I just wanted to clarify that to, to, in case anybody else wasn't sure. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I was. I probably should have clarified <laughs> earlier in the episode, or not about you know half an hour in or wherever we're at. Um, that's why I kind of broke it down. I was like, all right, well, Calamax wants to copy spells, right? And so I have you know like I have my copy spells in there. I have my recursion to get my copy spells back out of the graveyard or cast them from the graveyard. Um, Calamax requires to be tapped to copy spells and copy instance spells, uh, more specifically. So I have a lot of tappers in there in the ways of vehicles. Um, what is it? Uh, yeah. Paradise Paradise Mantle, the zero drop, uh, one equipped, one equipped makes it into a Lanawa Elves or a Mana Dork. I also have, um, oh, what is it? Uh, Springleaf Drum, which has the activated ability to, to tap a creature. Opposition. Uh, and you produce a mana. Uh, yes, there is also opposition in the deck, which again is in there because I want to tap things of my own. And I know opposition is one of those cards that kind of people see and go, <laughs> that's oppressive. And I understand it, but not really the reasons why it's in the deck. Again, I just want to clarify that from that episode way back when, because I have had instances of, you know, and opposition yeah, becoming an issue at a table. I was um, just going to say, it's so then, funny to me to hear you describing this deck at about a six or a seven, because at one time when we first built this deck, James was like, this is the most powerful deck ever. I can't believe it. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's actually very true. And that's kind of where the power creep in for me as a player has come into it. Because like, this is the second deck we're talking about. I still have three more decks above this deck to talk about. And yeah, it's like <laughs> when we built that deck, I didn't think anything else could stand up against it. I thought this was just, this was the powerful deck. Um, and the last strat that's in that deck is the token makers because who wants to get hit? I also make, like making big, you know, big massive fields. Um, and that's all I'm going to talk about this one because we have a whole episode dedicated to it. And Paul, what is your uh, six to I've seven got example? A couple. I pull, I pulled out a couple for each level just just to give an overall idea of you know because I built a lot of different types of decks. Uh, so first one I'm going to talk about here is yeah. Geared, which I may have mentioned a couple times on the show at least. Um, Girid is actually on the higher end of things. He's at a 3.79 uh, average CMC. And that is because I like to play a lot of big, dumb token makers. Um, so I've got like Armada Worm, uh, my favorite card of all time, literally, Godsire. Uh, I've got Rampaging Baylos just for a little bit of pizzazz. Uh, there's a lot of big, fancy, flashy spells in here, which is pretty much what mid decks do. Right, they they do it a little more optimally than lower powered decks, because uh, they are a little more focused and the land base is a little better. But overall, this has the, pretty much the same goal as a lower powered deck. It just has 
more focused ways of getting there and, you know, just better cards overall. Uh, as far as interaction goes, uh, there is a decent amount in here. I've got Path to Exile, Swords to Plowshares, I've got Condemn, I've got Oblation, I've got Return to Dust, Sundering Growth. Um, I've got an Angel of Sanctions in here. I've got an Acidic Slime. I've got a Naith of the Dire Hunt. Uh, there's actually a decent chunk in here, more than I thought that there was. I have Glare of Subduel, which is basically a green-white opposition. Uh, yeah, there's a lot in here. A lot of the card draw is tied to enchantments, so it is recursive. So I have about six or seven pieces of that in here. And other than that, there's really not much else to say about this other than the fact that it is a geared big token deck. And honestly, it's one of my favorite decks to play. It, uh, it pilots very well. It's pretty straightforward. And honestly, if somebody asked me for a deck to play that they could just pull out and play, it would probably be either this or Zara because they're both pretty straightforward and simple. Um, second, I wasn't really sure where to place this deck, and this might be the incorrect place to put it, but I have Elesh Norn, which I am putting in the mid category uh, pretty much strictly for the fact that it is mono-white. Uh, I think if it was anything besides mono white, if it had any other color with it, it would probably be on high or in the high area. But because it is mono white, it is pretty restricted in the amount of versatility it can have in its cards. Uh, but this deck is pretty high on interaction, mainly because white needs to defend itself hardcore, otherwise it'll just die. So it's got things like Bray of the Elements, Flawless Maneuver... Uh, Swords to Plowshares, Path to Exile, uh, it's got Sword of Fire and Ice, Sword of Light and Shadow, uh, Swiftfoot Boots, Lightning Greaves, the list goes on and on. It's got a bunch of ramp in the form of mana doublers, like Extra Planar Lens, uh, it's got Nyx Lotus for some ramp, uh, it's got the Immortal Sun for card draw. This deck has a lot of everything, and again, that's because it has to overcompensate a little bit for... Uh, being mono-white. And it's also a little high on the land count, sitting at 38, uh, but it does have an average CMC of 3.4, which is a little on the high side for what is supposed to be a mono-white aggro deck, but it does have a couple of X spells. Elish Norn herself is at 7 mana, and a lot of the better white cards are a higher mana cost. So a lot of like the Anthem creatures, like Angel of Jubilation, uh, you have Avacyn, Angel of Hope, uh, Bruna, the Fading Light, uh, Felidar Sovereign as an alternate win con. Uh, these are all, you know, expensive in terms of CMC, and so they kind of they kind of influence that mana cost to be higher than it actually is. Because when you play the deck, you're usually hitting your two and three drops pretty consistently. And as someone who's played against that deck a uh, number of times, it really does. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's being put behind or anything. But yeah, unfortunately, because like again in mid, that's where you want to be playing all of your big flashy spells. Like you want to be hitting turn 15 or 16 and then, you know, getting, you know, uh, cards out that are like X spells equaling 37 million because you've created that much mana or you've ramped that much. And that's kind of where these deck wants to be. These, these decks are like maybe an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two if hours. If a game takes two hours, game, English Norn is not winning. I'll just say that right You now. definitely have a lot more... <laughs> Oh yeah, and I mean I I get that. It's the same as uh, as as the Tate Karlov deck that we build here on the podcast, um, which was my next deck that I was going to talk about. Um, but these decks here are very much like sit down, have some fun, eat some snacks with your friends. Um, but they're a little bit more focused, and you want to be having a lot more interaction with the board in the ways of this is where you get into like the counter spells and telling your opponents no you can't do that or protecting your pieces with things like Paul said uh, he plays. Flawless Maneuverer in his mono white deck. Um, it is a fantastic piece of interaction for mono white because if you have your commander, it is free and gives all your creatures indestructible. What's one thing that white loves to do? It's wipe the board. And if you can have like essentially a one-sided board wipe with, I don't know, say Fumigate or um, Austere Command or any way that kind of wants to wipe the board in white, which there are plethora amounts of doing it. OG way of doing it is got a... Uh, Wrath of God. So if you could play a four mana Wrath of God that is one sided because you have your commander out, that's just that's that's just fantastic deck building at um, that point. There's also like planar cleansing, which is destroy all non white permanents. Uh yeah, there's there's a lot of cheeky ways to do it in white. You also now have Teferi's protection, 
that is the most classic way to do it. Not even classic. This yeah. is just the most popular way to do it now. Yeah, that is a that is one card that is just very expensive. It needs to be reprinted, like from now into eternity. We need more Teferis protections. I need more copies. I only have one copy of it. Uh, I do need like <laughs> uh, ten. I'm a modest man. Copies. I'll take ten. <laughs> I'll only do it if it's reprinted. <laughs> so I do have Taita Karlov. We have talked about this deck many, many times. This is my all-time favorite mid deck to play. If we're playing mid, I'm sitting down with Taysa Karlov. Um, she is an average CMC of 3.32, so she is on the lower side because she is Orzov. She has seven ramp cards in her, eight card draw, six interaction, which is kind of low for the interactions, but a lot of it is tied to her main strat, which is, uh, she has 42 main strat cards in there, so that is like the drainers, the token makers, the death triggers. Um, and then there is also, I play 34 lands. I got a little greedy with this deck in the land base uh, because I do play things like land tax to kind of get them out a little faster. My card drawer is, again, requires me to sacrifice creatures. I have, I think it's like eight or nine free sack outlets with all the altars. Um, I have Woe Strider in there. There's Viserysi. Uh, one of the ramp slash card draw cards I think is still in there is Solemn Simulacrum, which is just a fantastic card in, in Taysa because you get double of his death triggers. Um, pretty much this deck, Taysa Karlov is an enhancer to the deck. Uh, the deck works essentially by itself without Taysa Karlov, but if you have Taysa Karlov, it just, it runs a little better. It kind of yeah, adds just a little, a little to the fire, essentially. Um... <laughs> Yeah, just just a little. I mean, when you've got, you know, creatures dying and you've got Grave Pact on the field and you're making everybody sack two creatures instead of one creature and then you've got uh, Black Market on the field and you're making two counters instead of one counter and then, you know, it does its thing. Uh, this one has... This is kind of six to seven is where you start seeing your infinite combo uh, combos as well. So we haven't really talked about infinite combos Um but your power level six or seven wise is where you kind of see maybe one or two, like four or five card combo to win the game. Because again, you don't want to be comboing off way too early and kind of hitting your two card infinite combos, which we'll talk about later on in the episode. Um, but this is kind of where you sit with, you know, I think Tasa has a four card infinite combo in her with, was it Karmic Guide, Revelark, a Sack Outlet, and one of my plethora of Drainers that isn't Bastion of Remembrance. So, um, Blood Artist, Vandictive Vampire. There is another one that I'm thinking of that I cannot think of. Uh, what is the, fl- it's the format of Flying that's a 2-2 that does the same oh. thing as Blood Artist? Falcon Wrath, Aristocrat, Noble. There you go. That's the one. Falcon Wrath, Noble. Falcon Wrath Noble. I always think Noble and think Noble Hierarch, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, Falcon Wrath Noble. Any of those will do an infinite loop where you can drain the table out. I've only ever done it once, and I've only ever planned it all once because she wins by not an infinite loop, but just a value loop because it, it is an aristocrat style deck, which everybody who listens to this show will, will know because of the amount of times I've yeah, that's like ranted and raved about Taser Karlov. Somewhere around there. Yeah, it was super early. I was so excited to talk about it because, again, it is just, again, it is my favorite. That was when the corruption first started seeping through Um, James' mind. It runs. (laughs) Yeah, not going to lie. From here, from from then on, I've kind of built more decks and I do kind of keep deck building restraints on myself. Um, You know, this episode was very much like these are the the amounts of cards you should play, but I guess it's kind of evolved into being if you want to stay in this certain power level, this is where you should be kind of like looking at um yeah like this is where you kind of want to be if you're if you're your playgroup's like let's build mid decks and no one knows how to exactly build a mid deck point them to this episode and be like all right have a listen to this and this will kind of give you an idea of what a mid deck should look like numbers wise um and yeah with that i'm happy to move on to our Um, our next set of decks next decks i feel like we should address the combat step that's where i was going to next i was going to go to combat and I mean, mid-decks want to swing out, so let's just make all of our tokens. Attack with gear and populate. Turn sideways, deal some damage. Perfect. I love that trigger, by the way. I love gear ed. And I love your version of gear ed, and I love my version of gear ed, because they're so similar, yet different in their own respective ways. And with that, we are going to go 
to an ad break where we'll hear a message from our sponsors right now. Walking back from that ad break and that combat step, how much damage did you get in with your with your creatures? Did you kill anybody? Let me know. Let us know on Twitter. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we're going to move on to our main phase two here now, where we're going to start talking about a part of the format that I'm very new to, but am starting to love uh, just as much as I love playing Commander at any level. Uh, I think this this part of Commander... I'm starting to really love because of the gameplay style and it's very attuned to what I want to be doing in Commander. And that is your high power decks. So these are the eight to nines. Now I did say eight to nines because 10 is essentially a CEDH deck and we're not touching CEDH because that is a whole different kit and caboodle and whole different deck building formulas and everything. Um, but I have what I would consider two high powered decks. Um, I'm going to take a pause and let everybody who's listening scream at me about the deck that they think that I'm going to talk about, which is probably the deck I'm going to be talking about. You ready? Can you guess it? It's but Tulane. <laughs> I feel like that was such a letdown. I feel like that was such a letdown for everybody. It was like, oh, what deck is he going to, is he going to talk about? It's Tulane. Tell our tales. Ben, it's like... This thing has gone from being just, this thing has gone through so many revisions. It was a Flicker deck. It was a Rune deck. It was a Detain deck. It was a Tulane Flicker deck. And now it's just Tulane good stuff. And when I say good stuff, oh, it's some good stuff. So I broke Tulane down into just the absolute basics. Because let's be honest, any single creature when Tulane is on the field is a ramp and card draw spell. So I didn't count those because that's just, again, Tulane's just an enhancer to the deck. The deck can work, again, without Tulane. But with Tulane, it's like hitting the NOS button in a car. You know, you, you're doing a quarter mile drag race against your friends and you're sitting in your RX-7 and they're in their Honda S2000 and you're going about, you know, 90, 100 Ks and then all of a sudden you hit the NOS button, you're doing like 180 and you're like, see you later, guys. I'm Whoa, winning the Australian game. speak. What's a K? <laughs> yeah well, I, I know I, uh kilometers I, kilometers I, just, I don't know how that interprets to mileage per hour okay cool <laughs> that's all right oh i have no idea <laughs> i'm sure you i'm sure listeners are smart enough to say hey google what is you know a hundred kilometers an hour to to miles i think it's like that's fine i have no idea <laughs> i don't even have google in front of me um anyway so the breakdown on Tulane is he is 2.57 Average convert converted mana cost. He has 12 ramp cards in him. He has 6 card draw spells. 18 interaction spells. 32 lands and 31 main strat spells. Which is the bounce spells with him. The combos, the tutors, and the hate bears. Because that's where that deck is at. So, my ramp spells in this are mana dorks. 100% mana dorks, right? Besides... Soul Ring, Arcane Signet, Jeweled Lotus. Um, this is where you start seeing Jeweled Lotus being played more. This is a powerhouse of a card in the high-tiered format of Commander. Um, this is where you start seeing, like, I think I can get Tulane out on in turn two if I have a good enough hand. Um, you turn one into... Yeah, I can pretty much, with, with Tulane, is I can turn one into a Mana Dork uh, turn two, drop a land, jeweled lotus, tap the mana dork, or tap whichever configuration that I want. Um, play Tulane, and then I can tap one more, and I can play another mana dork to then draw a card and put another land down, to which then I might even have another mana dork that I can do it again. And you can kind of see how that becomes stronger the lower the CMC of the creatures are, which is why this deck is so low with uh, with the, the CMC of my creatures. I do have some higher spell stuff that does a lot of amazing things in like the, the two drop, the three drop, the four drops. And I think I only run well, one five Colin. drop, which is a Seedborn Muse. It's I wasn't really deck. counting uh, Tulane as <laughs> that. He is. Yeah. All right. That's right. Sorry. I run two <laughs> five drops then. I run Seedborn Muse and Tulane. Sorry. But this is where you start seeing more interaction. And uh, it was funny enough to see like the, the, the breakdowns of both of my high powered decks. Um, in the interaction slot, they're exactly the same. I'm running 18 interaction in both decks. And that's when you start seeing like 
the better counter spells. So like Fierce Guardianship, Pact of Negation, uh, Force of Negation, Flusterstorm, Mental Misstep. And I want to say Force of Will you'll see here as well, which you probably will, but it's still, I would still consider Force of Will more of a, a CEDH card more than a high powered card. But I mean, I have seen Force of Will being played and this is where your interaction becomes essentially free. Almost all of your ways to interact with the board or counter your opponent's spell have an alternate casting cost of exiling a blue card and paying a life or paying it at the beginning of your next upkeep. This is where you start seeing those kinds of things. And this is why these decks are This is also where you're going to start to see decks being more focused with less of the uh, shenanigans type cards and more of the what James calls main strat cards. So it's more focused on the interaction and you know, winning parts of the deck more so than the having fun parts of the deck. Yeah, these decks very want to go, very much want to go for, I think, I think a turn five, turn six win where you're able to tutor up your win con, play it down, slap a, you know, in high power, you're not really sitting there trying to figure out a puzzle, but you're trying to figure out how to win as fast as possible. And your interaction is essentially sitting there for, well, I'm going to do this, you, oh, you're saying no? Well, I'm going to say no to you. And then they go, oh, well, I'm going to say no to that. And you're like, well, I've also got this other card that says no to that. Or you have ways to dig yourself out of certain situations where you are able to... Yeah, me and James actually had a, uh, a counter war on zero mana. Uh, <laughs> we did. I think that was the funnest thing I, that you and I have, have done in, in a high-powered game was just we sat there and just... <laughs> said no to each other for free because <laughs> we like to run a lot of interaction and i love to run just a lot of interaction in my decks um i like i mean i, I don't know if that's the blue player coming out in me or not but i like to make sure that i have something up on other people's turns just in case and if i need to do it at the beginning of the end at the end step before my turn then i'll do it there but i like to make sure i have stuff and that's where you get a lot of those like instant speed spells um to which a lot of the, the 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 deck is instant speed spells so yeah this very much went from being a breakdown of how to build a deck to the breakdown of what power level decks look like well that's fine because uh, like, like numbers wise. when i talk about my high powered decks everybody's going to see that like these are much more tuned they're they're much more focused than the my low and my mid decks like you're a, uh, like haha i make tokens haha ha, ha. yeah illis norn oh little white things that get powered up by illis norn when she comes out zara haha oh, bounce spells golis enchantress oh possibility storm druids kozilek ulamog <laughs> critter of behemoth 18 creatures on turn six yeah <laughs> yeah that's powerful stuff there man i mean you segued into it you might as well all right, so let him let him know. Let let All the right. listeners so, know what your high power decks are. Druids is it might not be considered high by some people, but in the games that I've played it in, it has certainly felt high. Um, but it is seven crows and protector, uh, which basically just big big stupid green things with druids, and a large chunk of this deck is surprise surprise druids, things that care about druids. And things that draw cards for druids being played. Or for creatures being played in general. Uh, the rest of the deck is tutors. Card draw. Things that untap my creatures on other people's turns. Uh, I have Hall of Gemstone in here to hose multicolored decks. Uh, Beastmaster Ascension to grow my things. I have Growing Rights of Itlamok in here. Obviously, you know, because... Duh. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's a joke, by the way, but... It's a uh, harken back to the play of the week that I said at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, and just a bunch of tutors, thanks to dump mana into. It's got an uh, O explicative button in the form of the Great Aurora, just in case things go wrong and you need to reset. It's got Triumph for the Horde, Throne of the God Pharaoh. It's got a bunch of different win cons. Uh, and other than that, it's really just laser focused. Like you play a bunch of things, you have several different ways to tutor out your Crater Hoof Behemoth or End Raise Forerunners or anything that you want really it's it this deck gets eldrazi out and creator of behemoth out more consistently than any deck i've ever played in my life mono green because it's mono green stompy. with like planar bridge um you know it's got genesis wave uh it's got natural order 
It's got Green Sun Zenith. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, there's nothing really much else to say about this deck. It, uh, I mean, J James will testify to this. It goes off maybe eight times out of ten. I guess four times out of five in that case. Yeah. Yeah, it was unfortunate that you played it in a game where we were like, let's play mid. And you were like, well, Druids is mid. And we all went, okay. And then you were like, t like, like we said at the play of the week, turn three, 18 mana on board. Well, we're that was going, the game that made me realize, like, okay, maybe happened. this thing isn't as low powered as I thought it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, mono green is, like, people kind of, I don't know if they underestimate mono green, uh, but I know I look at mono mono decks and I'm like, ah, like mono color decks. I'm like, ah, oh, I just really want one more color. Or I really just want, you know, green and white maybe, or green and blue. But I'm just, I never think of making an actual it's mono It's pretty fun, I'm not going to lie. And also, because it restricts you so much in deck building, it uh, takes a lot of the decision making away from you, which is really good for me because I'm awful at that. Yeah. Like, oh, this deck would be so good with a mystical tutor. I understand But I that. can't play that. So I can rule that one out. <laughs> so I have to go and figure out how to tutor for things other ways, you know. Like, I, I get it. I understand it. Um, my other high power deck, which is my favorite deck, which I have... It has been brought up many times on here. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually talked about it uh, in any great detail. And maybe someday. Uh, I, I have a deck deck recorded for this. I just gotta... I gotta upload it to the YouTubes. Um... Uh, but that is Nersil, the Pretender, which mine is signed by Sheldon Mennery. It says, Paul, what is wrong with you? Uh, oh, Paul, who hurt you? That's what no, it, it said, is. Paul, who's I have who it right in front you, of me. I can check real quick. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing. Paul, who hurt you? There's nothing wrong with you, Paul. It's just someone hurt, <laughs> someone hurt you in your infancy, infancy like, stages of your life that made you become you know a Nersil player. You know what's funny is that... <laughs> With Marisol, I don't even know what drew me to Marisol. I saw one game played with Marisol, and I just, I liked the way it looked, you know? And from then on, I just decided that, you know what? I've got a lot of the cards for it already. I may as well put it together. And, you know, I've never turned back. Uh, Marisol, however, plays a lot of interaction. Like, a lot of interaction. A lot of card draw. Um... It is lower on the land count. Uh, I don't know if I said this for Druids, but I think it had uh, 37 lands. Marisil is sitting at around 35, which I try not to play less than 37 lands in any of my decks. That's about the average amount that I want. Uh, Marisil's on the lower side because I needed to make space for uh, all these busted spells. Uh, as far as interaction goes, it's got uh, uh, Arcane Denial, Archmage's Charm, Chaos Warp, Counterflux, Counterspell, Cryptic Command, Disallow, uh, Fierce Guardianship, Force of Negation, Force of Will, uh, Mana Drain, Stubborn Denial, Swan Song. So that's 13 Counterspells right there. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 Counterspells, because I counted Chaos Warp in there. Uh, card Draw, it's got Brainstorm, Forbidden Alchemy, it's got Factor Fiction, uh, it's got Dig Through Time, uh, Archmage's Charm kind of counts. It's got Burning Inquiry. It's got Faithless Looting. It's got Goblin Lore. It's got Ponder, Preordain, Reforge the Soul, Serum Visions, Wheel of Fortune, Wheel of Misfortune, Windfall. And you can you can tell just by the way that I by how many things I'm listing off here that a lot of this deck is super focused on just getting Marisil to pop off as soon as possible. Like you just want to draw cards. You don't care if they end up in the graveyard. Obviously, um, you just want to draw cards. You want to counter things that other people do that cause you problems. But other than that, you're pretty much just playing solid there. You only care about what is on your field. And if you only care about what other people do, if it messes with what you do. Like if somebody plays a Dryden Magistrate, or if somebody plays like a Torpor Orb, uh, things like that are big problems. <laughs> Pithing Needle, Humiliation, or Humility, sorry. Uh, these are all problems that you would want to deal with as soon as possible. And in a high deck, you're going to have those answers on the spot or you're able to go and get them when you need them. So when you move into high, you kind of take away the redundancy in your deck. Right. And um, just, I just want to clarify there that. There is... As far as averages go, I typically like to play around 8 to 10 pieces of removal. That's a mixture of board wipes and spot removal. Uh, anywhere from 5 to 7 pieces of card draw. Uh, about 37 lands... And then the rest will be uh, 
I'm sorry, I forgot ramp. About seven to eight pieces of ramp, which I know is on the low side for some people. Uh, and then the rest will be uh, some combination of spells that I want to play or spells that contribute to the overall theme of the deck. I just wanted to give that, that, that is my average breakdown. And I just wanted to show you how much these higher power decks change that formula for me. Because you'll notice I just listed off, like I said, 12 counter spells, like 20 card draw spells, some of which draw seven cards. Like, that's a lot of cards. <laughs> There's a lot of cards. Um, so my next high-powered deck that I've only just turned into a high-powered deck uh, because, I mean, I wanted some change-up because if we, we started moving into high and I couldn't just rely on the same deck every single time because my playgroup had seen it a million times. I played a lot. I love Tulane as a deck, but there was another player who wanted to play Tulane. So I went and I built... Uh, I built uh, Najila, the Blade Blossom, as my second high deck. Uh, she was a warrior tribal deck. So if you remember, a little back, a little further back in the catalog of, of episodes on on the podcast, uh, we talked about the Radha Heart of Kel deck, which was I think <laughs> called Cled Me Dead, which the episode mm. was. Um, <laughs> I still love that title, by the way. I have talked about this before, uh, where we put that list together, and I wasn't having as much fun with it as I thought I would because I was playing, you know, a very janky, clunky mid-deck against some higher-powered decks, and it just wasn't really matching up. So I took that deck apart, reworked it, turned it into Najila Five Colors, and then it was still themed around Warrior Tribal, and then I took the theme out, and it just became Najila High-Powered Good Stuff Combo. Uh, when I say combo, I mean, like, the abusal of uh, Najila's activated ability for, you know, Wurberg, untap all attacking creatures. They gain haste, trample, and lifelink until end of turn. And they also, there's an additional combat phase after this, after this combat phase, an additional combat phase only activate during combat, I believe it says. Um, so I thought that Chule might have been my lower powered average CMC deck, but this takes the cake at 1.84. And honestly, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Najila herself is only three mana. And a lot of the combo pieces you need are just mana works, and the rest the rest of them are also pretty cheap. So, uh, yeah. So with Najela, I'm able to get her out on turn one into a mana dork if I wanted to, or you know, I think the best I've done was what was it? Uh, land into a soul ring into a signet, jeweled lotus, tapped Najela, brought Najela out, tapped the the arcane signet. For a mana dork, said pass. And then proceeded to get targeted. <laughs> that set me up for a lot of turns. Oh, yeah. 100% got targeted after that. Um, and that was that was still when it was a mid... Like, that was when it was like a mid-theme deck as well. But it was still extremely strong. And that's a whole conversation for another day is, is picking and pairing the right commander to the right archetype for the right power level that you want to play. But that's a whole different conversation. So... Najila runs 18 ramp, 18 ramp cards, 10 card draw cards, 18 interaction, 32 lands, and 22 main strat cards, which consist of land tappers and untappers, combo pieces, tutors, and guess what, wow. Paul? Hate bears. Surprising. I love my hate bears. I know, right? I'm going to make sure that I slow my opponents down with this one. So Najila has... And easily a turn, easily has like a turn three win, but usually consistently is about a turn five win uh, in the ways of being able to tutor out to the battlefield or evolve. I think we call it evolving, don't we? When you Eldritch evolution sure. something sense, into something else. <laughs> so yeah, well, spoiler alert, I run Eldritch evolution and that's a good way of turning a mana dog who is a one CMC into a three CMC creature being Derevi, uh, Imperial Tactician. Because that, with a command tower, is infinite combat steps. Do you really need command tower? Well, command tower, because you can, in response to the triggers to untap it, you can tap it and float a different color until you can float Wooberg with it. So pretty much well, any rainbow land that works, will tap they don't for tap and don't, no, don't take damage. Well, whatever. It's it's stupid. We all understand Oh, this. of course. <laughs> of course. But like, like the most... Of, no, like I'm saying, like, like that's the thing is like there's redundancy ways of getting out the like the Wooberg mana that I need, but the most like the fastest way of doing it is just a rainbow land, which is a land that taps for any color, 
and five triggers of Derevi with, you know, you have to have at least five um, uh, attacking, uh, five attacking creatures, which is pretty easy to do in, in an Agila deck, considering whenever you attack with an Agila, you make a warrior for each attacking warrior. So it's like you start with two warriors, then you go to four warriors, then eight warriors, and 16 warriors, then 32 warriors, and you're like, oh, I guess I just killed the board. Um, but yeah, it has, again, like a lot of those are kind of interwoven to each other because the ramp cards are also things that kind of feel the combo side of things. So like Druid's Repository is a fantastic card. Uh, Nature's Will is also another fantastic card in the deck. Um, like I said, Derevi... Derevi is another amazing card and it's very easy to get out. So that is your most consistent win con is Najila with Derevi and then enough lands and enough lands and enough creatures to attack with, which again is super easy to do with Najila because everything's a, a one or a two drop or a three drop. Um, a lot of them are being hate bears to kind of stack the opponents out so they can't do anything. So you can kind of run away with the game. Again, my NOS uh, analogy kind of, you know, goes good here as well. Um, and again, like Paul said, the interaction in this deck is, I think most of my interaction are all instant speed spells. I think I only have a couple that aren't instant speed spells. I don't think I run any board wipes in Najila, but she is super laser focused on abusing her activated ability right, which to is get why, those infinite you know, combat 18 spells. ramp spells sounds like a lot, but literally you're just trying to get Najila out and activate her. That's it. That is the point. Because I only run... Yeah. I was going to say, I only run oh, seven ramp spells in Mirasil, which I didn't actually mention. I have the Mirror Signet, Izzet Signet, Rakdos Signet, uh, Mana Crypt, Felwar Stone, yeah. uh, Mox Diamond, and Soul Ring. See, the best part about having five colors is you have access to the best of every single color. You know, the, the, the best cards in every single color to do the best things, which is why I still feel like five colored commanders are probably linked towards being your higher powered slash cedh commanders uh because they just do everything and you know like we said to golos he does everything that you want him to do you can play him in literally any power level you want and build any kind of deck around him because he does everything um so getting we kind of got off topic there a little bit there paul but uh yeah so the ramp in the deck is 18 because yeah like we said it's it's a lot of dogs um there are a lot of combo pieces that kind of go off on that as well and the card draw is a little low for my liking there is no real overlapping on card draw as much as it is just ways to manipulate the top deck and play the cards that you said about um you know ponder preordain all those kinds of things i think even as like a ramp way of doing it i have chaos warped one of my soldiers nice. into a land <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah this is this is how we break down our high decks um i don't know if yeah, you have anything I, else you wanted to add so to i that, know Paul. it seems like we kind of went all over the place this episode but i would say that the overall point to take away from this is that um your base will likely cater to the the power level that you're trying to play in. And I know a lot of people don't like the term power level, but um, basically just set an average amount for yourself and adjust from there. So the average, like I mentioned earlier, that I found works for me is about 8 to 10 pieces of removal. That's board wipes and spot removal together. Uh, somewhere between 7 to maybe 9 pieces of ramp. Uh I like to play 37 lands. James is a monster and plays less than that. Uh, some people will say you should probably play around 40 or so for ratio reasons. Um, so somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 37 to 40. I wouldn't go lower than that, especially if you're a newer player. Um, and when you become accustomed to your meta, you can adjust things from there based on what you think you need or what you think your meta requires. So if your if your meta demands that you have more interaction, you can adjust maybe like the land count or you can adjust your, you know, random spell count, you can adjust your ramp spell count, your card draw spell count uh and, you know, if you find yourself running out of gas, you know that you can always adjust your card draw amounts. But it's important to just have that base to work with. And yes, not everybody's base is going to be the same. My averages come from just, you know, years and years of playing and what I've found works best for me. Um, I am certainly no expert, uh, but, you know, 
it's much better to it's much easier to establish a base for yourself and you know kind of find your own place to be from there yeah i actually couldn't put it any better myself um you did say a lot of things about averages and stuff so i did break down all my numbers um and i inputted them into a calculator did some extremely quick math on the fly uh with the help of paul <laughs> because i forgot how to do the formula because it has been oh i want to say like 12 maybe 13 years since i graduated high school so doing math equations is just not something i do on, on a daily basis uh so if i was to build a brand new deck on the spot right now uh i would be putting on an average of what i play would be 10 ramp 7 card draw 12 interaction 34 lands and 36 cards that directly tie into the main strat of the deck now you say I'm a monster for my land bases, Paul, but on an average, I do run 34 lands, which I think is quite acceptable land lands. count wise. Good God. Um, Good God. 34 lands. That's my acceptable range of lands. I know my high decks go a little bit lower than that, but that's because two lane is a powerhouse at pulling lands out of a deck. And Najila is also just really, you know, kind of, you know, I have a lot of, one drop uh ramp spells in there so she kind of just gets into things faster and faster and faster that means and, only a third uh, of that's your what i was deck gonna say lands, uh yeah the easiest way to sh yeah it's fine i've got everything else it's fine i'll add nos into things and it's it's good it doesn't matter you don't worry about it paul <laughs> i hate what you've become <laughs> <laughs> i'm a monster what if you you started this remember you created this monster I just fueled it with information and, you know, databases and content that I was able to uh, consume during lockdown. Um, but what I was going to say about Najila is my point back real quick, just going to rewind just a little bit. Uh, the easiest way to beat a Najila deck was to just keep removing Najila, right? I think I actually almost lost the game because of that. And I just couldn't get Najila on the board. So I did put in a little, I wouldn't say it's sneaky, and it kind of breaks parity on what we consider as a high deck, but I did add Thassa's consultation combo in there as just a, we need to end the game right meow, and I need to win. Oh, I don't need to win, but like, I like to win. And uh, yeah, I, I think I did that in our, one of our yeah, last Yeah, you did it on the turn after I failed to win because I didn't realize there was a, a card in my graveyard. <laughs> Because you failed to win. I took that opportunity and I totally ran with it. So Grenzo. you had uh, Grenzo in your graveyard and you had Timestream Navigator on, on on your field. You could have made infinite turns and won the game. But I drew Consultation on my next turn and then tutored for Tharsis Oracle, played Tharsis in response, Consultation won the game. And I went, <laughs> it's 10.30, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and with that yes please. i'm happy to wrap this episode up are you paul cool so if you have anything you wanted to add to this episode or you wanted to talk to us about why we chose these numbers and these decks that we did you can do that on twitter you can find us at cmdr at arms you can also do it on instagram if you want i'm still on there i'm still like showing teasers and trailers and everything on there um if you want to support this show and your local game stores at the same time, you can do that through our TCG affiliate link. We get a kickback. The store gets to sell their cards. You get the cards that you want. If there's any cards in this episode that you wanted to pick up or any sealed products coming up, uh, no Time Spiral Remastered, it's just around the corner. Go through that link. We will greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you want to rep the Commander at Arms logo across your chest, you can do that through our link in the, the description below in the show notes. We have a link to our shirt on our Etsy page. You can also support the show directly by going to patreon.com slash commander at arms. If you become a $15 tiered patron, you get the opportunity to play magic against Paul and I at any level that you want or any deck that you know that we have that you want to verse, you can do that. Um, and Paul, is there anything you wanted to add here in our little uh, end just card my usual step? spiel, uh, which is 
if uh, you are listening, thank you for doing so. Even if this is your first and only episode that you ever have or ever will listen to, uh, it means a lot to us that you took the time out of your day to do so. Uh, and I just want to wish you all the best if you've made it this far. I look forward to hearing from you and hearing your thoughts and opinions on basically anything. And uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Cool. Get out there and play more magic. That's all I'm going to say for the end of this episode. So with that, I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you've been listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. Peace. See ya. Peace.